with Borderlands Cooperative. Join us for critical conversations about things that matter. Every Friday at 10am on 3CR Community Radio, 855am on your dial. And on 3CR Digital and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. So together, let's think again about important matters affecting us, like economics, politics, education, health, climate, and what we can do about it all. Welcome to our 173rd program of Think Again. Think Again is presented to you by Borderlands Cooperative, an organisation working for social change for many years now. I'm Jennifer Burrell, your host. I'm without Jacques today, but I'll be joined by Mark Zernsack from the Tax Justice Network Australia. Mark's been on the program before, on one occasion explaining the inequalities in our tax system and also in April this year giving some analysis of the federal budget. Today we're going to discuss the latest federal budget just handed down and whether it lives up to the new government's promise to bring in a wellbeing budget. Welcome to the program, Mark. Thank you for the opportunity. Mm, real pleasure. So firstly, Mark, can you explain to us what a well being budget actually is and how it's different from the usual ways governments do budgeting. What's our Treasurer talking about when he says we're going to have a well have well being budgeting? Look, there are a number of countries that have used this term of well being budget and effectively it means shifting away from just looking at the budget in terms of the normal economic measures such as things like GDP um, and actually looking at a number of measures that might indicate community health and wellbeing. Uh, now, in this case, the Treasurer has referred to six other governments that have uh, developed indicators of wellbeing and the OECD has put out Better Life Initiative um, guidance that contains 82 indicators. So it's a it's a mechanism for trying to broaden out the way we think about budgets away from just being purely economic terms to looking at community wellbeing. Look, one of the um, hesitations around this, of course, is though, as William Professor William Davies has raised, is what neoliberalism did for us uh, was it rode off the back of postmodernism and it sort of argued now there were no real value systems. So in the absence of having a value system that you can apply, you start to rely on having to measure everything. So uh, it just becomes a matter of measuring things. And it, it can be a danger here that if we if we think about a wellbeing budget just as a way of having more indicators, that's not going to make us a better community. It actually needs to be backed up by action that actually delivers for people. Yeah, Mark, I must say I noticed that in the budget, that there's a separate section on wellbeing uh, budget, even though the main part of the budget doesn't seem to reflect the aspirations, at least at this point, to to very greater degree. But when I read it, you're right, it all goes straight to measures and indicators, uh, and it doesn't really seem to be um, focused on a reorienting of our values uh, as a society and for the government, guiding society? 
Yeah, look, I think I think that's. I mean, the the, the government added in a, a section on measuring what matters, so it, it, it is measures. Now, look, what's going to then? Yeah, the, the, there is further work to be done. Then, if you're going to shift those indicators, and this is the hope that in shifting those indicators, the government has to introduce policies, um, and you know, some of the areas that that while the indicator on the indicators being measured, we performed well by comparative data on things like income, wealth life expectancy and social interaction, we underperformed in areas such as environmental indicators, gender equity and household debt. So there's going to, to need to be some some shifting there. Look, there were some positives in the budget. There were things like the increase to pay parental leave, childcare subsidies, resourcing the referendum on Indigenous voice and truth-telling and then, you know, depending on how generous you want to be, you could say there was up to $30 billion over the next four years to start addressing climate change in a more serious way. Yeah, that's true. So basically, would you say that anything's really different in this budget in, um, in the context of the Treasurer announcing that we want to have a wellbeing budget? Do you, do you see any fundamental shift Look, I, I, I think it's a, it's a positive, I'd say at this stage, it's a positive sign about not just focusing on, on that notion of, well, as long as we get GDP, um, you know, going well and everything's fine. I, I think, you know, there's at least a really positive um, shift away from just looking at that. Uh, I, I think, though, the government has tied its hands with some of the election promises it made and it's going to have to find a way if it, it, it's created contradictory promises yeah. to different groups of people in society yeah. and it's wrestling with that straitjacket um, and it's hard to see how it's going to live up to all the promises it made uh, and it's really a question of whose promise which group in society is it going to value when it comes to the promises and are we really going to see it focusing on the people who really need support and the environmental issues that really need addressing being where the government places its priorities going forward. Yeah, I can see it's been quite, what I suppose you'd call it conservative, in it's trying to walk that straight line in, oh, we're really good um, economic managers and we're not going to go into more debt. Um, but at the same time, giving handouts, not handouts, but yeah, helping certain segments of the population for certain reasons... But um, I guess I guess I'm not. When I think of the wellbeing budget, I'm thinking of, um, of course, donut economics. You referred to in a past program, Mark, by Kate Raworth. Donut economics: seven ways to think like a 21st economist, and um, and it's quite a fundamental shift in our way of doing things. And I guess my um, my uh, my worry would be that it's seen as an add-on because this is like this is how she explains. She talk, it's called donut economics because the subs the diagram looks like a donut and the part that looks like the dough is where the sweet spot where people's needs are looked after and the environment is looked after and it's sustainable into the future. So she goes, what exactly is a donut? Put simply, it's a radically new compass for guiding humanity this century. And it points toward a future that can provide for every person's needs while safeguarding the living world on which we all depend. So uh, she says, below the donut's social foundation, 
Um, so in the hole in the middle of the donut, you have shortfalls in human well-being faced by those who lack life essentials, life essentials like food, education and housing. So that's pretty basic to well-being. So in that hole in the donut, people don't have that. and th- Or they don't have things like that. But then if you go outside the donut, uh, beyond the ecological ceiling, which what she calls it, um, lies an overshoot of pressure on Earth's life-giving systems. So we're putting so much pressure on Earth's systems that's not environmentally sustainable into the future, which we've seen a lot with um, all the disasters with flooding and fires and uh, global warming. So she goes, beyond the ecological ceiling lies an overshoot of pressure on Earth's life-giving systems, such as through climate change, ocean acidification and chemical pollution. But between these two sets of boundaries, not having enough and the environmental overshoot, lies a sweet spot shaped unmistakably like a donut that is both an ecologically safe and socially just space for humanity. And she says the 21st century task is an unprecedented one to bring all of humanity into that safe and just space. So I guess what I'm thinking is that's quite a... She's calling out for quite a radical shift. It's not let's do everything as normal and add on a a well-being chapter or section or frame what we're doing that supports well-being as part of a well-being budget. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that, Mark? Look, I don't think the two things are necessarily at odds with each other. I I do think the well-being framework that governments are using can feed into a donor economics approach because if the well-being, if what you're focused on then is both human flourishing, human well-being, so making sure you're above that that lower boundary that, that would mean otherwise people would be in poverty and uh, misery and not able to reach their potential. So you have those as some of the things you're focused on in your budget and then at the upper limit you've got, you've got to stick within your environmental boundaries. Mm. Again, you can include that in the well-being approach. So it's a matter of are you marrying these things up and how seriously are you then implementing policies, laws, spending that actually delivers on both that human flourishing while living within the environmental constraints of our natural environment. Yeah. I, you know, so I don't think these two things have to be in, in conflict uh, with each other. I think, uh, as I indicated earlier, the only danger is if the wellbeing budget just becomes another sort of neoliberal project for just measuring and putting a number on everything, mm. then you're you're missing its potential and you're you're not delivering you're really not delivering well being, you're just delivering a bunch of numbers. Yeah, and, and we can reorient our values as a society surely without getting focused on all the numbers and the measuring and making a few consultancy firms very rich in the process, no doubt. Uh, look indeed, indeed. I, I think the only the justification with numbers though can be you know, there is there is value in wanting to know well how are we how are we travelling and yeah. Um, uh, but again, you know, then you, you, we need to make sure if you're if you're doing that that you're using the right measurements and you're not hiding uh, things behind the way you're measuring as well. So you know, yeah. as we know that the critique of, for example, our official unemployment measure is that it measures you know as long as you get one hour of oh. paid work, you're you're regarded as being employed. Yeah. Now, you might still count in the underemployed group, but normally the number that gets quoted is the unemployment group. So, That's outrageous, yeah. You know, and it can, mask, it can mask what is obviously a much more serious problem with people who might have a tiny bit of work but need a lot more if they're going to 
have the income they need to put bread mm. on the table and a roof over their head. Mm. Well, thank you for that, Mark. We'll go to a break now with Dirty Dollar by Kev Comedy. Listening to Think Again, 3CR 855 AM on your dial, 3CR digital and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. Today I'm talking with Mark Zernsack from the Tax Justice Network Australia and we're discussing the federal budget just handed down and whether and how the budget might live up to the government's promise of bringing in a well-being budget or bringing in well-being budgeting. So I, I guess I must say that I was extremely disappointed to see no real rise in job seeker and similar Centrelink payments in the budget. The payments are way, way below the poverty line by any measure, uh, just a little above 300 a week in many cases. People really can't afford to live, I, and I don't know how they're expected to. And and people are really choosing between doing basic things necessary for survival, like will I pay my rent or buy food or medicine, or even covering children's school costs. And then there's housing. Well, there is provision in the budget for building 20,000 new social housing homes, um, and I'd like to really see public housing um, articulated in that. <laughs> and so there's, yeah... There's provision for building 20,000 new social housing homes and 10,000 affordable homes over the next five years. But that's a real far cry from the 25,000 plus social housing properties needed every year to address current waiting lists and projected demand. And that's from years of neglect, of course. And that figures according to research by the Everybody's Home campaign. So I should add that some schemes are proposed to basically incentivise private investors to pick up the slack to solve the housing problem. So surprise, surprise. And the workability of that's another story. Anyway, 
<laughs> they're some of my thoughts. I don't know how people can have well-being without having enough money to live, buy food, buy medicine and and have a roof over their heads. So, Mark, back to you. I'm going to throw it over to you. Do you think the latest federal budget lives up to the promise of um, being a well-being budget with some of those things in mind? Look, I think they are areas that the government has failed uh, to deliver adequately on, uh, particularly the Social Security payments. I think that they have delivered on what they promised in terms of housing at this stage. But again, housing is one of those areas that uh, needs, you know, a lot of government investment over a long period of time if we're really going to address the, the housing needs uh, that are that are evident in our community. And I think one of the one of the big issues that then uh, emerged in this budget was the government being committed to the stage three tax cuts, mm. which overwhelmingly uh, are going to deliver money back to the wealthy in the community. So. Uh, the Parliamentary Budget Office did some work that was put to them by the Greens. So the Greens, uh, you know, the Parliamentary Budget Office is completely neutral and its only job is to provide analysis um, on economic measures as requested by any party or member of Parliament uh, as such. And, and what they found in that analysis was that those Stage 3 tax cuts are going to cost us $243 billion dollars uh, in total by by the time we get round to 2025, 2026. Um, oh, that's incredible. Going, that's a huge... Uh, sorry, by, sorry I'm, sorry, I'm incorrect there. By um, uh, 2033, I should say. Okay. Um, so, it, you know, this is, this is a very large, $243 billion is very large, and of that money, three-quarters of it is going to flow to the top 20% of income earners um, in Australia. So it's an overwhelming handout to the wealthy, uh, by and large. But those in the bottom 20% will get nothing. Uh, those in the 20 to 40% group will get um, uh, $400 million of that $243 billion uh, will flow to them. Oh. So, mm. uh, so, so really, and, and by the government honouring this this you know, commitment they made prior to the election, uh, it means they, they have tied their hands. they put themselves in a straitjacket to deliver on the things that are needed for those who are less fortunate in our community, those who have the greatest need, those people who are held back from being able to flourish within our community because of this, this straitjacket. And this was, this was what I was referring before. Well, the government has to make hard choices about who are, who's it going to keep its promise to and is it going to be the wealthy people because... They have the year of the Murdoch press, um, or is it going to be the people in our society who are most in need and who desperately need government revenue to be directed in their direction, uh, whether that's through social security payments or whether that's through better, better mental health, better aged care, better disability services, those things that are going to really help community flourishing um, more broadly. Yeah, so it really gives... I think it also gives a real lie to that idea of being fiscal fiscally responsible it's a very sort of uh, biased loaded term really because you're being fiscally responsible um, in terms of supporting people in need at the bottom who are living trying to uh, live below the poverty line including families and child with children and at the same time that fiscal responsibility doesn't seem to extend to not giving billions and billions of dollars 
in handouts to wealthier people. So where's the fiscal responsibility in that? Look, absolutely. I, I think that that is that would be a very <laughs> a very valid critique, and uh, I you know it, it really the government had the opportunity, I guess, in this last budget to really say, well, look, the budget, you know, when that when they previously had made their commitment to the states through tax cuts, you know, they believed the economic circumstances were different. I, even even then, I think you know it was irresponsible for them to uh, put that put that forward, and that does feel like it really was a sop to the wealthy and to try and stave off the Murdoch press. Um, so, yeah, look, it, it, is, it is an exceedingly disappointing place. I mean, the other, the other thing the government has done, which is extremely frustrating, is they have made this commitment they will spend over 2% of GDP on our military. Mm. Um, and again, when there's so much need here, that's another straitjacket they're putting... Uh, constraining the budget in that doesn't allow them then to have the money to spend on these other desperate needs that would actually really improve the lives of people doing it very tough in our society. Yeah, and that's really highlighting the idea of there are values directing all of this. Uh, You don't need to run straight towards doing a lot of technical measuring. We could actually do a a real, uh, have a real review of our values that are guiding us. What are our values? And you wouldn't think these would be traditional labour values either, uh, giving tax breaks to the rich and and expecting people really. There are a lot of the listeners will be in this position themselves. People are on incomes that are way below the basic cost of living. I mean, three hundred, a bit over three hundred dollars a week when rents that will hardly co- cover rent in a lot of cases. Yeah. So um, I guess, Mark, um, what do you think? should happen in future budgets. So I'm giving you a a magic wand question here. (laughs) So what would you like? Maybe maybe the government's listening and will do what you say. Well, look, I do think uh, in in this case, the government should walk away from the stage three tax cuts. It should Mm. use that money for the betterment and and to spend in those areas where there is desperate need. So be that security increases, more on housing, more on disability and mental health services, more on providing support to people who've experienced family violence, more in aged care. I, I think those should be the priorities. I also think it should do what the Rudd government did and and back off on our military spending as well. Um, and, and, you know, to that degree, you should also be spending more on diplomacy because that's going mm-hmm. to increase our global security in a much better way mm-hmm. yeah. um, than, you know, putting all this money into military hardware um, uh, and then, obviously, we need to be spending money to meet our commit our fair share of what needs to happen in terms of reducing climate change as well. Um, now, the government's made a good down payment on that. It needs to keep going in that direction as well. Uh, look, I think the other place it can get, it could be looking at getting some revenue, and it has started making some positive noises in this direction, is to look at some of the tax concessions that exist within the superannuation system for the very wealthy, mm. and it could look to rein those in. That would give it uh, some more revenue there. It should also be looking at reforms that target the big fossil fuel companies, particularly the multinational gas corporations. And there it could be looking at both super profit tax, could be looking at royalties for offshore, you know, 10% royalty on offshore gas, and it could also look at fixing up the internal transfer pricing system within the petroleum uh, resource rent tax, 
PWRT as it's known, and that, that for example, would, would deliver $90 billion over the next 10 years if you just fix that mm. small tweak inside there. So there is revenue there. That said, you know, I'm, I'm at the same time, I'm a bit hesitant on that last one because ultimately we really shouldn't be continuing to uh, generate gas anyway. I mean, the evidence overwhelmingly, I think, is uh, that that ongoing dependence on fossil fuel is is going to push us uh, to a planet that's not going to stick within the 1.5 degrees uh, global average temperature rise that we need to to work, stave off the worst negative impacts of, of climate change. So, look, there are, there are a bunch of things the government could do, both on the revenue side and on you know where the greatest needs in our community are. Yeah, that's great, uh, Mark. And definitely all of that's directly related to health and well-being, uh, keeping our way of life and and our society running in a way that's not causing environmental harm into the future through burning fossil fuels. And I guess, as you say, there's always a danger when the government taxes something, they get dependent on it, which, of course, we won't go on to this subject, but, of course, we've seen that with gambling. And mm. it is a big, it's a sort of a double-edged sword, but hopefully it acts also as a disincentive to the business case of the people doing this, that it's sort of not worth it for them anymore when they're taxed so much to keep uh, digging up and burning fossil fuels. And selling them. So, um, Mark, I guess, uh, is there anything listeners can, uh, any actions listeners can take? Look, definitely. I mean, as I've been on the program before, I think being actively involved within our democratic system is really important. It can be difficult for people with limited time. So, um, but look, you know, where there, there are often... Uh, all sorts of government inquiries going on that people can connect in with. But beyond that, there are also a number of campaigns that are out there at the moment that are probably easier for people to connect in with. So there is the Raise the Rate campaign that's looking at the adequacy of Social Security payments for those who really need it. Mm -hmm. Uh, There is the Everybody's Home campaign, which has a very strong focus on housing needs, both to address homelessness and to address also, the need of people who are having to flee situations of family violence and ensuring they get secure housing so they can actually um, have safety and, and escape situations of family violence. And then there's also there's a campaign, Healthy Homes for Renters, that people can get involved with, which is looking at how do we uh, meet the needs for making... for those, I mean, And often it's people who are most disadvantaged are often in those rental situations. Mm. And how do we make that housing of a better standard, but also a standard that um, addresses environmental needs as well as providing a healthy place to live? So mm. there are a bunch of... And, you know, there are other campaigns out there as well that people get involved with, but there's they're three examples of where uh, listeners could certainly lend their weight and, and make a positive contribution to the changes we need to see. Yeah, thanks for that, Mark. And... Definitely raising Centrelink payments would that that could help redress the inequitable distribution of our our what I call our commonwealth, while also helping people to survive if if not flourish. Yeah. So, thank you. We've come to the end of our program quick so quickly. So thanks so much for coming on the program and sharing all your expertise and insights once more, Mark. It's very much appreciated. Thank you for the opportunity. It's been. Uh Great to have a chat again. So for our community announcements, 
Borderlands is having an annual general meeting. That's tomorrow, 12th of November, Saturday. You can join via Zoom or in person. So that's Saturday, 2pm, 30A Pickett Street, Footscray. Um, and there'll be discussion uh, uh, afterwards, after the formal AGM proceedings, about future directions and projects at Borderlands. So if you have any ideas for things that you would like to bring to Borderlands and get Borderlands support from, um, attend the AGM tomorrow. And also the other thing too is uh, Star Health and New Community are co-launching a special issue of Community and Health of the journal New Community. Uh, And that's on Wednesday, 16th of November this year, 2022, from 4pm. And that's at the Victoria Pride Centre, which is 79 to 81 Fitzroy Street, St Kilda. That's on the second floor. So that's the launch of the special issue, Community and Health, by Star Health and New Community, a collaboration. And as I say, it's 16th of November, 4pm, 79 to 81 Fitzroy Street, St Kilda. So thanks to our listeners for tuning in to Think Again on 3CR Community Radio today. If you want to contact us, you can call or email, I should say, borderlands, borders at borderlands.org.au. Our programs are available by podcast and on the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au. Meanwhile, please enjoy Milkumana by King Stingray. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.